Everybody doing good tonight? If you got your Bibles with you, let's uh, let's open them up here to Mark. To Mark uh, 16. We're going to start out Mark 16. Everybody's alive and awake and feeling good tonight. Glad they came to the house of God. Glad they're not in the hospital tonight. Glad they're not in jail tonight. Glad because there ain't no party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop. Glad because when you get drunk on the Holy Ghost, there's no bad side effects. Come on now, somebody. Only, only good side effects. Mark 16, and we're going we're gonna to start reading here in verse 15. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, my parents for the opportunity to speak tonight. I'd like to thank uh, Archdiocese Flock for being with us tonight. You know, because I, I feel like I can really preach about 15% better when he is here with me. So I'd just like to thank him for making the long trip from Ligoti tonight. And uh, he probably thought Bishop was speaking or something, so he probably came. But Oh, come on now. So uh, it's guaranteed to pre- preach 15 to 20% better since he's here tonight. So you guys are in for it tonight. So Mark 16, verse 15. We're going to start out here. It says, uh, this is some of the last words of Jesus speaking. It says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And let's jump down to verse 20. And then it says, and they went out and preached everywhere. And the the Lord was working with them, confirming the word with accompanying signs. But notice that in verse 15. This is Jesus' command before he leaves the planet. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now let's look over at Romans. Romans 1. Romans 1. Romans 1, and we're going to start in verse 16. Romans 1, 16. It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. But notice the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Notice, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Amen. So if you're taking, to, taking notes tonight, the title of my message is Good News. Look at your neighbor and say, Good News. Look at your other neighbor and say, Good News. So we're going to talk about good news tonight. How many want to hear some good news? Aren't you tired of hearing bad news? I am too. We could talk about some good news tonight. Now let's look over to one more uh, passage here, Luke 2. Luke 2. Luke 2, and we're going we're gonna to start in verse 10 here in a second. But tonight as, as I uh, was praying, praying about what I should speak, uh, God laid this on my heart. I spoke something similar to this a couple weeks ago in the quarry about good news. But uh, we need to realize uh, the message we preach is good news. Uh, 
contrary to popular belief, we got a lot of preachers in pulpits and Christians that are grumpy, that are mean, that preach the wrath of God, that preach the judgment of God, and they're preaching bad news, and they're wondering why they're not getting any results, because the gospel is good news. It's not bad news. And that's what makes our message attractive. See, uh, I don't know where people got this idea, but they think if we're unattractive to sinners, like that's supposed to be good for us. If, if you look at the Gospels, which we're going to read some of them tonight, that Jesus was attractive to sinners. It was the religious people who didn't like him. Sinners loved Jesus, but it was the religious church-going people that hated Jesus. Hello, somebody. Why? Because Jesus preached good news. Jesus didn't preach bad news. He preached good news. And up to that point in time, they've been hearing nothing but bad news. Why? Because people have been teaching religion. And religion is always bad news. But we haven't been called to teach religion. We haven't been called to teach uh, commandments. We haven't been uh, called to teach laws or duties or you have to. We've been called to preach the gospel, which the gospel is the good news. It's good news. But notice this in Luke 2 and verse 10. This is when Jesus came to the planet when he was a baby and the angels were announcing it. It says, the angel said, do not be afraid for behold, I bring you good news of great joys, which will be to all people. But notice he said, I will bring, I'm bringing you good news. And that good news is going to give you great joy, which will be to all people. That's why it's so good, because it's to all people. It's not just to the Jews. It's not just to a certain nation. It's not just for the good people. It's not just for the bad people. It's for all people. That's what makes it good. The gospel is not exclusive to the United States. The gospel is not exclusive to a certain country. The gospel is not exclusive to a certain type of person. It's for all people. That's why it's good. I don't care about what your background is or what it, whether you feel like you're the best person on the, on the planet or you're the worst person on the planet. You need the gospel just the same. And it's good news for you. Now, up to that point, there was nothing but bad news. In all of human history, before Jesus came, it was just, it went from one bad news to more bad news to more bad news to more bad news. That's the situation this earth was in up till Jesus came. It just got worse and worse, and one thing happened after another happened after another, and everybody was living in a hopeless state like many of the people in our planet are living today without God. But notice what this angel said announcing the birth of Jesus. The bad news is over, and behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be to all people. When Jesus stepped on this planet the bad news was over with. And there became good news on the planet. Why? Because the good news had come that we can't save ourselves, but a Savior has been sent to save us. That our relationship with God that we cannot fix by our good works, that we cannot fix by obeying laws and commandments, that God himself came into this planet and fixed it for us. That's the good news. The relationship that Adam and Eve, how they got separated from God and, and mankind could not get back in relationship with God, that is over now because of Jesus and the cross and there's no more enmity between man and God. There, there is no more uh, beef, if you would call it. There's no more uh, 
uh, b- bad, bad feelings between God and man, but there's good news now. Because God is appeased, his judgment, his wrath was all appeased in Jesus' son. And there's nothing but good news for you and me. You need to realize this, Jesus took all your bad news. So you have nothing else in this life to look forward to than good things. Hello, somebody. There is no more bad news in your future. Jesus took all your bad news on the cross. There is nothing bad about your existence anymore. But he took your bad news. But notice, when Jesus came, it's good news. He didn't say, behold, I bring you judgment of great joy. Behold, I bring you wrath. Behold, I bring you more hopelessness, which you're already in. He said, I bring you good news. The gospel is the good news. And if we preach the good news more, it would be more attractive. If we shared the good news more, people would be being reached and being touched, but we don't share it because we really haven't understood how good it really is. How many in here you watch the news? Come on, don't don't be afraid to raise your hand. How many watch the news? Or how many of you, you know, some some of us read newspapers. Some of us, uh, a lot of us in here get on the internet, and that's where we get our news. But this world is is full of nothing but bad news. It just keeps getting worse. And worse and worse. And if I was lost, I'd be going nuts right now. I'd be going crazy. I'd be in a shelter underneath underneath my house with canned goods and flashlights and praying for judgment day soon. Because this world keeps going from crazy to crazier to crazy to more hopeless. And they just need a little bit of good news. And we have the good news on the inside of us. And we're keeping our mouth shut every day of our lives when we got the answer on the inside of us. And we got good news. Just a little bit of good news would help somebody out. Because they get nothing but bad news at their house. They get nothing but bad news at their job. They get nothing but bad news on uh, the TV, the internet, the radio. Nothing but bad news. And it's bizarre, but really our planet has become so accustomed to bad news, we almost look forward to it. We almost look forward to hearing gossip about, you know, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? They got in a car wreck the other day. Oh, that serves them right. They got in a car wreck the other day. Or you said, oh, you know, so-and-so slept with so-and-so. People love to hear bad news. That's how crazy this earth has got. But if somebody heard some good news for a change. See, some people don't even know what good news sounds like anymore. You know, uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like hanging around people that always got bad news. I cannot, I cannot take it. I'm one of those people that... You know, if somebody says, I'm going to give you bad news, I'm going to give you good news. Which one you want to first? I'm going to say, I just want the good news. You can keep the bad news to yourself. And, uh, you know, even to the point, I, I'll say this, is even to the point of whether you call me naive or whatever, I'd rather be naive about a person than hear something bad about them. Because I just like hearing good stuff. And mom knows this. Mom, mom, mom and Miss Donna, sometimes they'll try to share information with me. I was like, before you tell this to me, this better be good news. Because if it's bad news, y'all can just keep it in your own prayer closet and just pray it out. Just you too. Because I just like nothing but good news. Because I was raised up hearing good news my whole life, so I got spoiled on it. And I don't want to hear any bad news. Here's, you know... I'm still thinking about you and Miss Donna. 
but I don't. I don't want to hear bad news. I'd rather be naive about a person and just just think the best of them. Good news. Just give me some good news. You know, uh, it's funny when we get different sets of news. Sometimes we decide to share things with others, and other times we don't. You know, when uh, when there's bad news, like when I was growing up, there would be report cards come home, and you know. I wasn't quick to share that with others. I wasn't quick to uh, bring that home and find it in the mailbox and, and take it to mom and dad and say, you know, I really want you to look at this. You know, I know you guys are going to bless me for this. Why? Because it was bad news. And we don't like sharing bad news with others. No, there's not many people that are excited about bad news. You know, but uh, how many know when you hear something good, you can't wait to tell everybody you know? If you got a new car, really, really mostly if you got a new car, you'd be driving over to all your friends' house and bumping some music and, and having them take a drive around your neighborhood. If you got a new outfit, you couldn't wait to tell somebody. You know, if you had a little baby, you couldn't wait to tell somebody. You know, anything in your life that's good news, you can't wait to share it with others. The thing is, like I said earlier, the reason we don't share the gospel is we really don't know how good it is. Because we still feel like it's the bad news that we got on a report card, so we don't want to share that with anybody. Because that's not attractive. But we don't realize it's the best news anyone has ever heard is the gospel. The reason we don't share because we don't realize how good it really is. How good is the gospel? How good is Jesus? How good is the message that we preach? Because it's supposed to be irresistible. It's supposed to be irresistible. The problem is a lot of churches don't preach the gospel. They preach religion, which religion is bad news. The gospel is good news. So you need to realize this because, see, it doesn't matter what, how good a church you're raised up in or how good a church you, know, you go to. Some people still have a religion mindset when they, the, whole church, the rest of the church could be preaching the gospel. And they have a bad news mindset. They have a bad news bear mindset, and they cannot get that out of their mind. Well, you know, religion, you know why it's bad news? Because religion says, which a lot of people still live by this in this planet today, is if you do good enough, if you obey God enough, if you treat people nice enough, if you make yourself presentable, if you clean your life up, then God will love you, then God will accept you, then maybe you'll make it. And that's bad news. Why? Because nobody's ever going to be able to do that. See, I've heard from people more times than I can count. I'm just going to come back to church and get right with God when I clean my life up. The whole point is you can't clean your life up. So you're going to be away from God the rest of your life if you feel like it's up to you to clean your, your own life up. And that is a lie that the devil has, has used to sell people that are far from God that you've got to clean yourself up, you've got to make yourself presentable to God, then he will accept you. That's not the way it works. The only way you can get clean, the only way you can be acceptable is if you let God himself do it for you. But that's what religion preaches, and that's why it's bad news, because you're never good enough, you're never perfect enough to receive God's grace. You're never good enough to receive his love. You're never good enough to be accepted by God. And that's bad news, because you never win. 
you never are fully satisfied that you're pleasing to God. You always feel like the next day I got something else to do. I'm not good in this area. I'm not good in that area. So the rest of your life, you're an insecure believer to think that God is upset with you. When it's not up to you to change you, you can't change yourself. You know, the whole thing is the self-help industry is, is humongous. And if, if the amount of books that there are on self-help would have done it, it would have done it by now. But the whole point is you can't help yourself. And that's what the majority of us, especially in our Western culture, that thinks we can do whatever we put our mind to, which is not the word, but we think that we are big enough and strong enough in ourselves to change ourselves and make ourselves presentable. They think that they can help themselves, but you cannot help yourself. The more you more and try to help yourself, the more and more you get into despair because self-help is no help at all. Because you can't change yourself. That's the good news why Jesus had to come for you to change you when you couldn't change yourself. When, when you were lost and without hope, Jesus stepped in and saved you when you couldn't save yourself. And not only did he save you that day, but he's ongoingly transforming you into his image the rest of your life. See, see, even some people even preach, you know, God's, Jesus saved you at the altar, but the rest of it is up to you. That's not the gospel either. No, the Holy Spirit is in you for the rest of your life, helping change you into the image of his son. And the same grace you received at the altar is the same grace that is going to sustain you for the rest of your Christian walk. It's just as powerful the day you received it to the end of your life, and it's ongoingly transforming you into the image of his son. So we got a message that's good news. The good news is that Jesus came and saved us while we were still yet sinners. Christ died for us. Not when we were still good people. Not when we were people that wanted Jesus to come. No, why we hated God, why we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. And he doesn't ask you to do anything else but receive what he's done. That's good news. He doesn't say, I got 15 things for you to do first, and then you can accept me. No, the good news is that we can accept Jesus by faith and receive all he's done for us. That's good news. That's good news. But like I said, we preach bad news from the pulpit because we're preaching religion. We're not preaching the gospel. Let's look over at Mark 15. You guys get anything tonight? Notice Mark 15 and verse 16. These are Jesus' last words, and he he says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You're supposed to preach good news to everybody that you come in contact with. Notice that, you know, if if anything you're going to say when you're about to die, it's going to be important. Because it's no time to just, you know, just say random things that you were thinking about earlier in the day. You're going to say some of the most important things. And notice this is what he's saying to his disciples which 2,000 years later, we still are his disciples. And he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now let's turn over to Romans 1.16. Romans 
It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. I mentioned this earlier, but the reason we don't share the gospel is because we're ashamed of it because we really think it's bad news. Because we don't really understand what the gospel really is, so we're ashamed of it. Just like I said earlier, when I had my report card, I was not sharing that with everybody. I was ashamed of it because I thought it was bad news. But the gospel is good news. And notice it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because this is the good news of the gospel. It is God's power to save us. Not our power to save us because we can't. But the good news is God came when he didn't have to and he saved us. He saved us. And notice, and that's for everybody. It's not good news unless it's for everybody. And the gospel is for everybody. And it is God's power to save. You know, a lot of us will get excited about, you know, sports teams, and, and I'm, I'm there too. I'll be talking about the game. I'll be talking about music. I'll be talking about all these things. And we can get excited about that and some good news we heard, like, you know, guess what? So-and-so just won a game, or did you hear so-and-so just came out with a new CD? But how much more the gospel is good news? See, it just shows us what we're really full of. See, we're full of sports, we're full of music, which there's nothing wrong with that. I, I do all the above. But it shows us when, we, when those things are constantly coming out of us and the gospel's not, that's what we're full of, and we're not full of the gospel. See, if the gospel bores you, that's a problem. See, a lot of people in the church are bored with the gospel. There has to be more to it than that. But you really don't understand the gospel if the gospel's boring to you. If church is boring to you, if Jesus is boring to you, you don't haven't really heard the gospel. Because once you hear the gospel and the real good news, it's going to be more exciting than your favorite sports team. It's going to be more exciting than your favorite musicians. It's going to be more exciting than, than a boyfriend or girlfriend. It's going to be more exciting than all that is the gospel. And nobody's going to have to force you to share that with somebody. It's just going to come out. You know, the Word of God says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever on the inside of you in abundance, that's what comes out. If some of us uh, preach the gospel as much as we gossip, we'd be getting some things accomplished. Oh, y'all didn't come tonight. I, my bad. Why? Because that's what we're full of in abundance. And, nothing, and, go, and gossip, only thing gossip is going to do is tear down people, and it's going to produce more and more bad news, not good news. You know, in Mark 15, verse 16, we read this a second ago. It says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. See, a lot of us, we look at a verse like that, and we say, you know, I'm not in India tonight. I'm not in Africa tonight. But that you are not an exemption from that verse. See, a lot of us American Christians, which are the most lazy, pathetic people on the planet. Can we just talk, real talk tonight? Is because we haven't went to another country. We feel like we're excluded from the scripture. But Jesus said, go into your world. Hello, Southern Indiana. Hello, Louisville, Kentucky. Hello, your job, your school, your neighborhood. That's your world. 
Just because you didn't go to India doesn't mean you're any less important than a missionary in India. You are a missionary to this city, whether you realize this or not. See, a lot of us Christians think that we're off the hook because we're not in another country being a missionary. No, God has sent you to this city for this time to be a missionary. See, a lot of us Western Christians don't think missional. We don't think like a missionary. We only think the people that are called to Africa, that are called to Asia. Those are missionaries. No, you are a missionary. Every one of you in here is a missionary to your city, to your job, to your neighborhood. If you just realized it, the opportunities are there. You don't have to go to Africa to find somebody lost and broken and hurting. They're in your backyard. Hello, somebody. But a lot of us, we don't see the opportunity in front of us because we're not thinking like a missionary. But Jesus specifically says in Mark 15, you need to act like a missionary and go into all the world. That doesn't mean you have to go across the country or go into a different nation, but go into your world and preach the good news. Are you here tonight? Go into your world. You are on mission. See, a lot of us don't think about that we're on mission every day of our lives. A lot of us don't think like that. You know, I think it would help us if some of us lived in another country because you would be more mindful that you're, you're here for a purpose, not just to eat and drink and be merry, but you're here on purpose to help hurting, dying people. But since we live in, in the land of comfort and abundance, we don't think like a missionary. That's why America's in the state we're in, because we don't think like a missionary. And really, to be honest, America probably has more hurting, lost people than a lot of other countries combined. Just because somebody's got a lot of money and got food on their table doesn't mean they are sound and they are saved by God. But we don't think like a missionary. We don't think, you know, Paul talking to Timothy, he said, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of a missionary in your city, in your neighborhood. we got to think like a missionary because every day of our lives, whether you know it or not, you're on a mission for God every day. I know our Western culture teaches a lot of people do this. We, we serve God two or three hours on Sunday, go to church, feel better about ourselves, and that's God's time. Those two or three hours that we go to church and sit through that, and do God a favor, that's, that's my service to God. But the rest of the week, that's my time. Who made up this junk? That's not what the Bible talks about. That's, that's a Bible filtered through this American culture junk. That's not the gospel. That's not what these early disciples did. These disciples, it was all or nothing. There wasn't no, I serve God on Sunday, but I do whatever the heck I want the rest of the week. The disciples didn't live like that. When Jesus asked people to follow him, guess what? They stopped whatever they were doing and followed him. And they didn't turn back. And it wasn't, I follow you on Sundays and Tuesdays. No, I follow you every day of my life. So the question is, are we true followers? Are we just fans of of what God does for us? Because I doubt if we're really true followers, because a lot of us, we just give God time on Sundays and Tuesdays, but the rest of the week is our time. That's why we get nothing accomplished, because we got to think like a missionary every day of our lives. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's all God's time. The reason I'm breathing is because God is good. The reason I'm saved is because God is good. The reason I'm healed is because God is good. And God is everything in my life. There's no me time and God time. All my time is His time anyways. But we don't think like that. We got to think with a missionary mindset that we are here on purpose in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our job, and it's not an accident that God has put us there. Now let's look over at Luke. Luke 10. You guys still here tonight? See, you just got to realize, I've said this when talking about money, when you realize all your money's God's anyways, 10% is not a big deal to you. When you realize all 100% of your money you got is God's anyways, and then you're giving him 10 back, and then he blesses you for that again, is that a no-brainer or what? It's retarded how some people cannot figure out that doesn't even make sense to somebody who, who has a brain to think, I'm complaining about 10% when God owns 100% of everything I have. The reason I'm still breathing oxygen is because he is gracious to my life. And I'm complaining about 10% in a couple hours of my week. Hello, somebody. You ain't thinking. That's, that's key. Luke 10 and verse 2, it says, Jesus speaking, he says, The harvest is truly great. But the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into the harvest. But notice that. He said, the harvest is great, but the laborers are few. I shared this last Thursday, but I feel like God specifically talked to me about this this past week. He said, your church has been doing a, we've been really picking it up in prayer. And we've been praying for the harvest. We've been praying for lost people and hurting people and broken people. And that's awesome. And we need to continue to do it because the Word of God says it. And we know nothing gets done without believing prayer. But God told me specifically, he said, the problem is not you praying for it because you're doing a great job of that. He didn't say the prayers were few. He said the laborers were few. So we can pray all we want and sit on our backsides and think that people are just going to automatically show up. That doesn't work. He told me specifically, you are the answer that you've been praying for. So we need to stop praying for other people to be missionaries and be a missionary ourselves. I don't know about you, but I've done that too. I've, I've, I've walked and I've... I've drove in my car and seen people and say, you know, God sent somebody to bless that person. Guess what? I am the answer that I was just praying for. You're saying God, God saved people on my job. You know, God sent people out there. You are the answer to what you've been praying for. He put you at that job for a reason. He put you at that school for a reason. He put you at that neighborhood for a reason so that you would be the answer to your own prayers. You know why? Because we like standing behind the scenes and just praying and we don't want to do any of the work of the ministry. And just 
praying, God, send harvesters. Send people into the harvest. Send people to preach the gospel. Send people to touch that person. You are that person. He specifically talked to me this past week. He said, that's what your church is missing. You're praying for it, but you're too lazy to go out and labor for the harvest. Notice he said, the harvest is plentiful. So there's not a lack of people that can be reached, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful. But the laborers that actually will get out of their own comfort zone and get out of the stinking boat and walk on water are few. They're few. And I'm not, I'm not preaching this down to you to be harsh or mean tonight. I'm, I'm reading my own mail tonight out loud. Because God spoke this to me. He said, you've got to keep praying for the harvest. Guess what? Next time you want to pray for somebody that you see on the side of the road, do something about it. Because you are the answer to what you've already been praying for. Are you here tonight? Now let's look over at Mark 4. We didn't lose too many of you. Too many of you didn't walk out, did you? Mark 4, we're going to start in um, verse 14 here. Because we're talking about the good news tonight in the gospel. But we can't pray just to send people out into the gospel. But we have to be those people out sharing the gospel. We need to realize how good the good news really is. And we'll start sharing it. Mark 4, 14, it says, is the parable of the sower, and it says, the sower sows the word. Now, this parable talks about four different types of people, four different types of dirt, which are all different people's hearts. And it talks about a sower who goes and sows, and the seed is the word of God. But in this context tonight, we could say the good news. The seed in this parable is the good news. And it says, the sower, which is me and you, sows the good news. All of us have seed, but we need to sow it. It's not enough just to have seed. we got to sow the seed we got. Like I just talked about earlier, we can't just pray for it, and we got seed in our pocket. You can't complain that there's no crops when you got a seed full of uh, seed in your, in your bag here next to you. You can't look at your field and get mad that there's no harvest when all the seed's still in your bag. But it says the sower sows the word or he sows the good news. See, I'm really convinced that a lot of us, including myself, we don't share the good news with others because we overcomplicate it and we think, well, you know, I don't know this, I don't know that scripture, I don't want to share it. God just asks you to sow. And it's as easy as the good news. You know, it doesn't take a farmer a lot of intellect to reach in his pocket and throw some seed on the ground. All God asks you to do is be a sower. 
See, because we always try to formulate, you know, I don't know the Romans road, and I need a track with me, and I need this and that with me. You just need to sow some good news. It's not that hard to sow some good news into somebody's life. To smile at somebody and say, hey, I got good news for you. God is good. God loves you. Let me buy your coffee for you. Hello, somebody. Come to my church. It's that easy to sow the good news. We overcomplicate it. But it's easy to be a sower. See, we also do this because I've done this. We, we overdo it when we try to use our uh, things we learned on TBN, our step-by-step, you know. Have you done this? Have you done this? Are you a sinner? If you met God tonight, would you be in heaven or hell? Answer me now. And the person is like, dude, why are you even talking to me right now? Seriously. And we don't realize that it's an actual person. It's not a formula. It's not a uh, punch-in code that, that can unlock doors. But it's an actual person. And I tell you what, evangelizing people like they are a vending machine is never going to work. That's a lot of what a lot of Christians do. They say, you know, I think I got my track here somewhere. What's your name again? Can I write this in? Um, so have you ever done this? Awesome. So you're going to hell probably. Cool. Um, would you like to go to heaven? I really don't care about your life. I just want to tell other Christians at church that I got somebody saved today. So, I'm sorry. Anyways, <laughs> but uh, oh, let me get back on track here. So, the person, it's never going to work us trying to evangelize people like they are a notch in our belt and like they're not actual real people. They are real people that God loves. And I tell you, the more you times, the more time you spend with God, the more you're going to love what he loves, which is people. And the best step to being authentic is just telling them what's on your heart. Tell them your background. Tell them what you've been through. You don't have to act like you're perfect because you ain't. You just got to be real with somebody. People appreciate that ten times more than you making up all kinds of tricks to try to get them saved. Because it's easy, just like a sower reaches in his bag and pulls out seed and throws it wherever. He doesn't even aim it sometimes, he just throws it. It's that easy to sow the good news. Now let's look over at Mark uh, 4.26. I sure love you guys tonight. I didn't, I didn't mean to say some of this stuff I'm saying, but it's all good. Like I said, I'm just reading my own mail out loud to everyone, what God's been dealing with me in my private time. You know, I shared this the other night in Corey in talking about if we're really following Jesus, we're going to be in some uncomfortable places. He will put us in some uncomfortable places to reach people. I'm not talking about put you in sickness or disease or bankruptcy. I'm talking about God will put you in uncomfortable places when you're actually following him. So if you're not constantly living in uncomfortable places where if God doesn't show up, you're going to fail, then maybe you're not really following God. Hello, somebody. Right over your heads. Okay. 4, verse 26 through 29. It says, the kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and she should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how, for the earth yields crop by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain. And then when the grain ripens, immediately he puts a sickle, because the harvest has come. You know, um, 
talking about being uncomfortable is when you're following Jesus or stepping out and talking to people, you're going to feel uncomfortable sometimes. When you're going to be sharing the good news with people, especially you know if you're praying for healing for somebody, it's going to be out of your comfort zone. But Jesus always asked his disciples and followers to do stuff out of their comfort zone because that's where the supernatural is. You can stay in your comfort zone and walk in the natural like a lot of the rest of the Christians on this planet are, but you can step out of your comfort zone and step into the supernatural power of God. So if we don't ever feel uncomfortable in our life with Jesus, then maybe we're really not following. We're just a fan of what he does for us. We appreciate the church, nice people, but we're really not following. And what I mean by that is you're, you're, you're constantly putting yourself out there where if God doesn't show up, you're going to fail. Could be God told you to give something that's outstanding, and if God doesn't come through, you're not going to be able to pay your bills, stuff like that. Or you step out and talk to somebody that you've never talked to before, and it's a very uncomfortable situation. That's what I'm talking about. And if God and you pray over somebody and they're in their wheelchair, and you tell them they're going to be healed, and guess what? If God doesn't come through, you've got to put yourself in that kind of situation because that's where the supernatural is. I talked about Smith Wigglesworth the other night. It wasn't comfortable for him to go into uh, funeral homes and grab people out of their coffins that were dead. But if he wouldn't have done it, there wouldn't have been anybody raised from the dead. Because sometimes you've got to step out of your comfort zone to step into the supernatural power of God because that's when he's going to show up. You know, I've been here... I've gotten discouraged about, you know, I've been sowing, I've been talking, I've been preaching, I've been ministering, and we're not seeing any fruit. How many have been there too? You've, you've been sowing into people's lives, and they seem like they're getting meaner than ever before. And they're just ignoring you. And you're feeling like, I don't know why this is not happening. You need to realize your responsibility and God's responsibility. You know, one of the most amazing things I ever heard Pastor Judah Smith say was, you're a sower and not a savior. You're a sower and not a savior. See, the reason we get discouraged is because we think we can save the people when we're only the sower, and Jesus is the savior. He doesn't need any co-saviors. He's the savior, and you're the sower. I tell you, you will stop getting discouraged when you realize your role is and sharing the good news with people. Your role is to sow the seed, but God's role is to bring the increase. But notice in, in Mark 4.26, it says a man should scatter seed or scatter the good news on the ground. And notice when he sleeps by night and rises by day, the sh- seed should sprout and grow, and he himself does not know how. Notice that if you just sowed the seed while you are sleeping or while you are doing other things, God is moving on your behalf, making that seed sprout, making that seed grow, what you just planted. Only thing God asks you to do is sow the seed. It's that easy. In verse, I love it in verse 27. He had nothing to do with the seed growing. All he did was he sowed it. And while he was sleeping, while he was resting, while he wasn't, 
sitting at home worrying about the seed, God was working on his behalf, making it grow. There's no reason to sow the seed and get worried about the person and get fretful about the person because you can't make that seed grow. All you can do is scatter it. I love this in verse 29. It says, but when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. You know, this is kind of a side note, but you need to realize what people are ripe and what people are not ripe. Hello. Because it's one thing to sow the seed, but like it says, to reap the harvest, to notice when they are ripe and then he takes it off the vine. A lot of us need to realize who's ripe and who's not ripe. Because if you try to take fruit off the vine before it's ripe, you can mess up the whole thing. And see, a lot of a lot of Christians have tried to force people into pulling them off the tree and tried to force fruit, and that doesn't work. And usually it puts a bad taste in unbelievers' mouth. When you're trying to force them to come in off the tree and say, hey, I'm not even ripe yet. Why are you trying to pick me off the tree? So we can't force this fruit. We got to be led by the Spirit. This is the key here. You got to be led by the Spirit to see which one's ripe. Because there's some people you need to sow. There's some people you need to water, but then there's other people you need to pluck up and get the harvest. You guys understand what I'm saying tonight? You need to realize who you're talking to, what's their situation, and you're not only going to know that by the Spirit of God. Which person you need to sow, which person you need to water, or which person is ready to be plucked up. I tell you, it can do a lot of damage to the person if you try to pluck them off the tree before they're ready. You know, uh, recently when I was out in Seattle at a Generation Conference, when I walked in to the Sunday morning service, there was this one girl, I looked around back, and I, I made eye contact with her. And something about her, I was like, it was totally Holy Ghost because I didn't know anybody out there. But as soon as I looked over, I was like, and she's ripe. I can just tell. She is ripe. And I was like, I know if they give an altar call, which they will, that Sunday morning Carl Lentz was giving an altar call, I was like, I know she's going to raise her hand. I just know it. I didn't know anything about the person. I tell you, as soon as the altar call started, everybody said, uh, you know, bow your head, close your eyes, stuff like that, raise your hand. Immediately I remembered her, and I looked behind. Guess what? She had her hand raised. And that was by the Spirit. Because in the natural, I wouldn't know whether the person's ripe or not, but by the Spirit, I knew this girl's ready. She's been planted in, she's been watered in, and this, this fruit is ready to be plucked off the tree. And I said, I know if they just give any kind of altar call, she's going to raise her hand and get saved. How do I know that that was by the Spirit of God on the inside of me? But you can know that about the people in your life every day, whether they're ripe and ready to be plucked off. Or whether you just need to hold your peace and keep on sowing. Hold your peace and keep on watering. Because God will bring the increase. Don't get discouraged because God will bring the increase. You keeping sowing and you keep watering is not you giving up. You just realize it's not their time yet, but God will eventually bring the increase. Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians 3. I'm about done here. 1 Corinthians 3.
1 Corinthians 3, and uh, start in verse 6. Everybody there? It says, I planted, Apollos watered, but notice God gave the increase. Because you can't bring the increase, you can just sow on water. Verse 7, so neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Notice that whether you're the planter or the water, you still get the same credit for it. Because see, a lot of us, we just want to see the results in people's lives. But there might be some people you plant in, you, you water in, and you might never see it with your own two eyes, what happens in their lives. But that doesn't mean that God will eventually bring the increase in their lives. And the person who gets them saved or ministers to them is not any more important than you are. You get the same credit for their life. I tell you, we don't need to get discouraged because I know a lot of us in here, including myself, we've gotten discouraged, we've sown, we've watered, and we still haven't seen the results. But I promise you, because the Bible is true, and it says God will bring the increase. The fruit will be on the tree, and it will be plucked, and God will receive the harvest. That's what's going to happen. Or we could keep walking around in fear and disbelief and say, you know, I tried to sow and water into people's lives and people have shut me down and, you know, I've gotten discouraged and I haven't really seen it work out. I don't really know if the Bible is true that God will bring the increase because I haven't seen the increase in my life. So we stop sowing, we stop watering, and we don't do anything the rest of our lives. Is that the way we want to live? I'm going to believe God and His Word because He's always been true and every man a liar. And it's a promise that God will bring the increase, whether we see it or not. See, that's our problem. We always want to see everything, but we got to believe it before we can see it. I love that I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the increase. Let's look over at Galatians 6, 9. This is my last verse. Galatians 6, 9. I appreciate you guys coming out tonight. Galatians 6, 9. couple things before we read that verse as I close. I don't want this, I know I've said a couple strong things tonight, but I'm just preaching what God is preaching to me. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I love each and every one of you so much. But if somebody doesn't talk like this, the potential that we have will never be used. It's not enough for us just to have talent, gifting, potential, grace on our life. If we don't step into that and use that, it can go wasted the rest of our lives. But you need somebody to speak into your life and say, you need to step up and use that potential that God has given you and change somebody's life and not just sit around like the rest of the Christians doing nothing the rest of their life and they're going to get to heaven with all their potential and talents and God's going to say, you didn't use anything I gave you. I want to get to heaven and I don't have any money left and I don't have any potential left and I don't have any giftings left because I use it all on this planet. I don't want to get to heaven with a bag full of seed that I was supposed to give on this earth but instead I just decided to keep it on my side because I wanted to stay comfortable because I was full of fear because I was discouraged and I didn't sow any seed. God just asked you to sow the seed. He will bring the increase. But I want to do something with my life, actually exciting with my life. 
And this is the most exciting life is to be a seed sower. I tell you, when somebody asks you, what do you want to do? What's the most exciting thing? I just want to be a seed sower. That's the most exciting, amazing thing I can do is sow the good news of the gospel every day of my life for the rest of my life. That is the most exciting, most fulfilling life on this planet. And it's at the end of time, it's the only thing that's going to matter anyways. See, a lot of us don't think with an eternal perspective. We just think with a, a natural uh, time and space perspective. But we need to think eternally. And the only thing at the end of time that's going to last is what we did for God. That's all that's going to last. And we're going to either, either live a life that was worthy of what he died for or we're going to live a life that was wasted on this planet for nothing. You still get into heaven. But you're going to be sad that you wasted all your potential on earth because you could have took a lot of people with you. You know, the key is here tonight is to not go out here feeling guilty like I'm a loser Christian. And, you know, because I've been there before. I've been in services and said, okay, you just preach that, but you won't even go to the person next to you in Coffee Crossing and share Jesus with them. I've been there after a message. I've preached before. And the enemy will try to get you discouraged. But I don't want us to go out of here feeling guilty about that because guilt evangelism never works, but grace evangelism always works. And you just feeling guilty about you not sharing Jesus is going to last you a couple weeks, and then you're going to get tired of sharing him. But I tell you what you're not going to get tired of, you just get so full of the gospel. You just get so full of the good news. You get so full of, of that amazing love that God has for you on the inside, and you cannot help it for the rest of your life to share the gospel. Why? Because guilt is only going to last you a couple weeks. And then you're going to be up in the altar call in a couple weeks saying, man, I'm, I'm not even that good of a Christian. I don't even share with you. No, you just focus on his amazing goodness and his amazing grace. And guess what? It's a byproduct. It's going to come out of the inside of you. And you can't help it. You can't help but talk to people. You can't help but share the good news. You know, recently when they had all the Judgment Day things, you know, ridiculous, but when they had all the Judgment Day things, you know, a lot of people might have made a decision yesterday for God. But God doesn't want you to make a decision based on fear. Because people that accept God because they're afraid of Him, that relationship lasts about a month. When we do stuff for God out of fear for Him, that lasts us a couple weeks to a month. Maybe a couple months if we're better than others. But I tell you what will last you a lifetime is love. What will last you for the rest of your life is a loving, healthy, vibrant relationship with Jesus that you're just consumed with his love and his goodness and you can't help it but the good news to come out of you. I mean, I appreciate those people getting saved, but God doesn't want you to be saved just because he's scared of you. God wants you to be saved because he loves you and you love him. All right, Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I shared that at the leadership conference a few months ago. I feel like that was a, a word from God for our church specifically. Is A lot of us have been doing sowing, we've been watering, we've been praying. 
But notice it says, don't grow weary while doing good. Why? Because God knows that sometimes you're not going to see immediate results to what you've been sowing, what you've been watering, what you've been praying for. But notice he says, do not grow weary while doing good. Why? Because this is a promise for in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. What's he saying there? In due season, God will bring the increase. And I said, this is a due season for our church to reap. But notice we don't need to lose heart. Because when we don't lose heart, we shall reap. Amen? I'm going to read this out of the message real quick. Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. I appreciate you guys tonight. Galatians 6, 9. It says, so let's not allow ourselves, notice this, to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or, or we quit. Notice that at the right time or in the due season, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up. But in the meantime, don't get fatigued. Don't get worn out because it's promised if we sow and we water, God will bring the increase. Amen? Did you guys get anything tonight? I'm finished. Shall we pray? We're not finished. Well, come on, Mother. Uh, I was thinking as Jordan was sharing just a practical example. I was thinking when Maya, you, who know, everybody know who Maya is. She came from Nashville. She came to IUS. And it was one person that had a heart for God and couldn't hold in the Jesus on the inside of her. And out of that evolved so many young people that are now coming. Uh, Raise your hand if you're here because Maya said something to you or the person you know, uh, I think, (laughs) Jessica, was it Michael? And then there's Amzi, there's others that came because they were down at IUS and Maya initially, you know, came and started sharing. But now, uh, Michael, I, I'm going to ask you some questions, so don't panic, but come up here with me. I want to ask you, <laughs> uh, you know, this is totally putting you on stop, but I want to ask him some questions about how he got saved because Pastor told me this testimony about you, and I thought that really fit into what Jordan was sharing. Um, now, basically, you uh, in high school were real athletic and kind of looked like a nice, clean-cut guy, but you really didn't know Jesus, right? right and right. so you went, did you come here to IUS and then went on spring break or what? what? Okay, but you had come for a year here, and so you'd been at IUS until spring break, and you still didn't know Jesus, and then you went to Panama City with all the other wild college people that go down there okay so then what you know like and this is what pastor told me told me his testimony uh i'm gonna let you impart a little here uh but he had said you know you you weren't like totally into the going down there getting wild drunk uh thing because you were athlete and you know so drinking wasn't that big of a deal to you but just decided to go because everybody else your age goes down there and so you were out with your friends and what happened can you share a little bit of that? yeah well we originally decided to go to Destin because not everybody wanted to go to Panama City. was with us because I had a friend that didn't drink also. 
we weren't right, obviously, but we both didn't drink. We didn't, we didn't want to do the drinking thing. So we were there for about a week, and we only went to Panama City two days out of the week. So one day we were there, me and Phil, who's the other guy that doesn't drink, we separated ourselves from everybody else. There was a, a spot on the beach. There was about 200 college kids. They were just partying, throwing beer bottles. We were like, we do not want to get in that. So we moved about 100, 100 feet away from them, just found a secluded spot, just, you know, kind of camped out there. We were just, you know, sunbathing. And then two guys from Cornell, I think it was Cornell University, they came up to us, and I thought they were going to, you know, first they were going to, like, try to mug us or something because they came right out of that crowd just coming towards us. Yep. And me and Phil were like, what are they going to do, you know? And <laughs> and they came up to us. They like, you know, can we share, do you know about Jesus? And we are just kind of, you know, got in contact. We are like, oh, yeah, he's a good guy, you know. And then, you know, they just kind of, we witnessed to us for about 10 minutes or so. And then that really planned to see, and it was funny because uh, right after that, I was like, I tightened up. You know, they never told me they had to be saved. I'd accept them. It was more of a, you know, it was good, but it was like a guilt trip almost. So then I was walking around, you know, tight the rest of the time, like, oh, I can't do this. I can't do that. I didn't know how to accept them. I didn't know I could be made perfect, you know. So, and then, and it grew on me eventually. Um, oh, yeah, it was definitely growing. There's a few times when I just got dead, you know, but then it, it it sprouted back up, but it kept going. And uh, about eight months later, I was in my, I, I was reading the Bible there, you know, like off and on between those those months. And I never, yeah, I never came to the part in the Bible where it said you had to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And uh, so I got to that part one day and I was like, oh my gosh. I haven't even been saved. Like, I'm trying to live for him. I've, you know, I, haven't even I don't even have the Holy Spirit in me yet. How am I going to read this Bible? And, and I literally got, like, you know, most people are like, oh, you know, they just prayed the prayer right there. I got literally, like, face first on the floor. Like, you know, my hands, I was just scared. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry, God. Like, Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. I was like, I'm sorry. And then, like Jordan was saying, like, you can't, fear only lasted, you know, a while. But I got saved out of fear. I was just scared of hell. I didn't, you know, that was the whole, that was the whole reason I got saved. And then after that, I just it just started becoming a love, and I got like you know, I told Pastor it was literally like a, th- a three day, uh, you know, transformation. Like I was this guy, and three days later, I was completely like 180. I was like I saw the world with like a different perspective. I saw saved and unsaved. I didn't see people like. And the biggest thing I tried to do was judge people because that would have like canceled everything right then. You know, if I would have judged them, then it's over. You can't do anything about it. And so that kind of led me, you know. And then, let's see, about two weeks after I got saved, I was sitting in my dorm room. I was like, all right, God, I uh, I don't have any friends here that I want to hang out with, that are worth hanging out with. Um, you know, I'm just kind of stuck here. Please send me friends. And about, it's probably a week or two weeks after that, Maya sent me a Facebook and she's like, hey, I see you're a Christian, you know. And uh, I was like, yeah. She's like, you want to come to youth, you know. I was like, okay, this is God answering my prayer. But at first, initially, I was scared. I was like, uh, yeah, I've never done this before. I don't know my, I don't know anybody at the, you know, in the youth. And uh, and I was like, well, I'm just going to obey because, you know, I don't <laughs> I don't know what else I'm going to do if I don't go. I don't know. I'm going to have to go find a church myself, walk in by myself and be like, all right, I don't know anybody, but at least I know my, you know. So I went, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah. Amen. Glory to God. You can sit down. Thank you, sir. Thank you. 
Thank you for that impromptu testimony that I, you know, but it just blessed me that those young men had the heart to be in that environment and witness. Because most of us would say, like he said, he wasn't even a Christian. He didn't want to be in the midst of that. You know, but they came out and the Lord led them to him and they planted a seed and it stuck in him, even though he didn't totally, they must not, they didn't take it for, to fruition and, and lead you to the Lord, but they planted a seed and that just kept growing. Now, see, that I got to give you a lot to think about. That sometimes you've walked away from settings and thought, I didn't complete the task, but you did share the word with somebody. That seed is growing in them. It's growing. And then God's working all that other. He's got a Maya somewhere for him. He's got, you know, things happening. And I just thought that was an exciting testimony. You know, the fact is that it just took one person really opening up down there at IUS that has brought a blessing to people and to our church. So just remember, it's not like this great multitude. It's just, you know, one person witnessed to Billy Graham. I don't know what his name was, but I know that if he hadn't done it, the whole world would. I mean, talk about people getting saved. If you talk to people, the older generation, a lot of them will say, I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. I got saved watching him on TV. I got saved because he impacted the world. So, amen. Well, I don't know if you guys feel good about this, but I'm mom, and I'm asking you to do it. (laughs) I want everybody to stand, and I want everybody that's... uh, 21 and under to get up here in the prayer line and I just like